Money FM 89.3, best of drive time. Time now to take a look at some headlines from around our region. I'm quite excited because uh, we'll be talking about one of my favorite topics, uh, KL Singapore Speed Rail. Uh, but helping us with that and more, Dr. Felix Tan, Political Observer, Nanyang Technological University. Dr. Felix, good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, Doctor. Let's talk about my favorite topic, politics in <laughs> Thailand. Pitali Jaronrat's road to becoming a prime minister. Will this happen or... Are there, you know, plots to derail this from happening? Mm. Well, I, I think we all know that he has, you know, recently joined a, a pride parade, you know, getting his all entire, you know, persona and charisma up and running. So that was I a think, nice shirt uh, he was wearing, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very colorful. But I think it, it ties in with the whole entire event. But I think, you know, overall, it's about optics, you know, and that would work very, very well for Peter Limjam Romrat's uh, growing popularity at this point in time. So, you know, uh, his road to, to becoming a prime minister is still, well, still ongoing. Uh, well, a few things to take note of. He's still young. He's the media darling at this point in time. And he's reaching out to a lot of uh, the marginalized groups uh, in Thai society. So I think also, you know, he is uh, trying to fulfill his campaign promises. So this is also part of his, you know, stint, you know, trying to reach out to to these group of people. So I think uh, a few things that we need to take note of all that he has done to become prime minister. Uh, Well, this could mean that, you know, he has made himself quite a marked man. Uh, I'm not too sure whether this will bode well for him because it's a two-edged sword. On one hand, he's connected to the groundswell of emotions and the outpouring of support he's getting. Uh, on the other hand, he's really making those so-called men in uniform and uh, traditional conservative politicians look really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim, you're right. That shirt is really nice. Yeah, it's a Paul, <laughs> Paul Smith shirt, I think. Brilliant. I'm not sure if that uh, res- will, will respond well to the groundswell that you're talking about, though. But, but it's interesting that it's going a bit of an, an influencer route, even mm-hmm. though he doesn't have that blue tick. You know, in spite of the fact that it's so tricky politics-wise, how do you see social media playing into, uh, let me put it delicately, pressure on, on getting these issues solved? I think social media does play a very important part. I mean, him reaching out through, well, the media outlets in all ways and all forms, time to kind of sit well with a lot of the Thai youths. Uh, so I think uh, in that way, he is entrenching himself in Thai society, much more so than actually looking at all the other politicians, uh, more so in there as well. So I think in a way, you know, it's using the uh, Thai society, using its people to pressure and put more pressure on, uh, well, hopefully the senators mm. uh, in the yeah. parliament and, uh, you know, put more pressure on them to, you know, perhaps vote him in as the next prime minister. So I think there's still a long road ahead, still a couple more votes that he needs to to galvanize. So I think uh, we'll have to wait and see. Doctor, I think what we're concerned about is whether the Thai military will again do what they did before uh, with the help of royalists and everything and, and stage another judicial coup of some sort. Because as we know, business continues whether or not there is a democratically elected government in Thailand. 
Mm, I, I think that is a huge worry in Thai society. It's whether you know whether there will be another coup yet again. But it really depends on whether you know he becomes the prime minister or not. If he doesn't become the prime minister, I think there will be unlikely of a coup, uh, since you know probably a military affiliated individual or politician will probably be. Uh, in place as the prime minister. However, there might be uh, some unrest between the so-called, like what we have seen in the past, the red shirts, the yellow shirts, in Thai society, you know, and, and that might come to the forefront yet again, you know, if certain parts are not appeased. So there is still uh, a way to go to get that kind of support from all sides for him to become the prime minister. All right, Dr. Felix, let's uh, move on to talk about Malaysia. Uh, Pastan Sri Abdul Hadi Awang has insisted that only Malay Muslims should lead Malaysia. Ooh, this comes after he was slammed by Malaysia's Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim for harping on rice. Why is uh, Hadi insistent on this whole Malay Muslims only to lead the country? We, we, we do have to bear in mind, I, I suppose, that where Malaysian elections are concerned, the religion plays a huge part. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I think one has to remember that, you know, uh, this is really not the first time that you know, mm-hmm. Hadi Awang has mentioned or insisted that only a Malay Muslim can and should lead the country. Uh, and if we look at the, the history of past, you know, it has always been a Malay supremacist or as well as a religiously fanatical political party. Yeah. But there is support for past, obviously in Kelantan and also in Trungganu. So there is this continued sense that uh, the Malay majority in Malaysia have to give in to other races and there's some sort of a gripe against that. And so this is probably a political stunt at best, you know, uh, especially now that we know that some of the states are getting ready for their state elections. So PAS wants to remain relevant, especially to the mainly Malay Muslim support base that it's receiving. Do you think this is a response to what uh, the ex-Prime Minister Mahathir said that uh, Malaysia could be like Singapore with a non-Malay Prime Minister? Mahathir has always used this as a fear factor. Part of his narrative is part of the rhetoric and you know it has always been coming up in the forefront in uh, the political landscape in Malaysia. So I think you know uh, we need to go and thread this uh, issue really, really carefully. And I think, you know, if, if you look at the, the situation at this point in time, the past president, uh, past as in PAS, uh, President Hadi Awang, and also, you know, other leaders have signed this so-called Malay proclamation, you know, that Dr. Mahathir has actually put up in the last couple of months as well. So this 12-point document seems to aim to protect the interests of and also perhaps unite the Malay community mm. uh, to so-called restore the glory and the political power of the Malays in Malaysia. So it's going to be harping on this narrative over and over again, you know, as we come closer to the state election. So many other questions, but I don't think I can say them on air. Uh, Dr. Felix, we should do a podcast version of that. Um, I want to talk about news of a potential revival of the KL Singapore high-speed rail. This was when Prime Minister Anwar visited Singapore in January this year. Uh, any leads right now on where this is going? My hopes, you know. <laughs> I think there just seems to be a lot of chatter at this point in time uh, that there's a potential revival. But, you know, we, we can remain hopeful. When it comes to Malaysia, nothing's really ever certain. Even with a signed agreement, uh, promises can still be broken. Deal can still fall apart. So if there ever is going to be a revival, I think there must be a much longer term commitment, you know, and also buy-ins from the major- majority of the Malaysian political leaders, businesses, and also within the society. So 
I think when it, it's easy to talk about this, but when it comes to concrete action, you know, we have to be a little bit careful uh, as well. So. I think it's a matter of wait and see. So no lunch at Madam Kwan's yet. But the economic <laughs> benefit of having this high-speed mm. service mm. is is humongous. So what is mm. the reluctance there in Malaysia? Mm. I, I think at this point in time, I mean, at least when it was called off, I think there was something to do with whether uh, Malaysia can commit to itself, whether the government can commit to building the high-speed rail. So I think there is now been talk that you know perhaps this high-speed rail might take a different trajectory. Mm. Uh, some have also asked argued that uh, perhaps they can look at uh, some sort of a public-private partnership model uh, that could work in such a situation. And there have been some such a, such a situations where they have a private and you know, public partnership as well. So I think, you know, this will definitely help in terms of the funding of the HSR if it ever comes to fruition. So the thing is now, the, the, the bigger question is how much political will does the Malaysian political leaders have mm-hmm. and the government of the day has, you know, to see as see this project, you know, to fruition. And so we all do know, and it has already been talked about, that this HSR will definitely uh, create more jobs and businesses, not just for Singaporeans, but also for Malaysians all across. All right. Uh, Dr. Felix, could you explain to us uh, Myanmar's new gun ownership policy? What's, uh, what's worth noting here? I think this is a worrying trend if mm. the policy ever gets passed through. I think we, we need to look at Myanmar's political landscape at this point in time, and there simply isn't any more rule of law if there was to yeah. begin with. Yeah. The military seems to be overstretched. You know, but it continues to exert its dictatorial rule over its citizen. So this new policy, if it's ever passed, is kind of strange and very unhelpful. Uh, I'm not too sure how many citizens can carry weapons mm. and what does it mean by loyal citizens, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. So I think you're loyal to them perhaps are those that support the military regime. But then this would lead to a murderous rampage. Uh, within Myanmar. So, you know, but I think for a few reasons. Firstly, with this new law, and this policy goes through, uh, if there's a conflict in, uh, within the domestic front, it allows for the military to remain relevant, you know, uh, and intervene in order to so-called maintain law and order. So it needs the military. Okay. Secondly, it allows for the military to assimilate into the general populace, you know, you know, as a plain person and so-called as a loyal, normal Myanmar citizen who are supportive of the junta, and then they will take matters into their own hands, and we know how that will turn out to be. And then thirdly, this will also take the heat away from the junta, because it's no longer the military against the people, but people against people. Mm. I think overall, this is rather insidious, to say the least. The military junta has been capable of far worse crimes imaginable. Will it deteriorate into some sort of a civil war if it's people against people, as you mentioned? Yeah, this unfortunately might lead to even some sort of a civil war within uh, the country. And I, I think we... We do hope that this will not happen. At this point in time, the situation has been very muted. There are a lot of Myanmar citizens that are not and do not want to get involved in any way, mm-hmm. or at least you know they will take matters into their own hands. But life has to continue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, by and large, if you look at Myanmar society, the citizens will want to continue their form of livelihood as well. All right, we've been speaking with Dr. Felix Tan, political observer at Nanyang Technological University. Dr. Felix, appreciate your time. Take care of a great Wednesday evening. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. 
Available on Google Play or the App Store.